Welcome to Said on Sunday, a podcast by Kellyville Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Set on Sunday. My name's Beck and I'll be hosting today and with me is the full complement of normal Set on Sunday regulars gathered around the table. Let's do a roll call. James, you're across from me. Hello. Hello, Beck. <laughs> Hello, Dave. How are you going? G'day, Beck. And Nathan. Hello. I can see a couple of coffees on the table, yes. so we are ready to roll. It's only my first one of the day. So oh, yeah. okay. I might get better as the podcast goes on. Yeah, <laughs> as you stop. take more sips. <laughs> How many do you normally have by this time? Normally I'll be on my second, yeah. Okay. So the first one's kicking in, the second one's kind of getting in the gear as well, but mm-hmm. we'll see how we go. And how many do you do across the day, mate? I'm capped at three, my doctor. <laughs> doctor said stop You're it. so obedient to your yeah. doctor. Um, yeah. He's retiring. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it right now. But he's <laughs> he's retiring. Yes. Yep. Oh, that is sad. Yep. All right. Well, let's move on from that then so we don't pour more salt into the wound. <laughs> um, Dave, what did you talk about on Sunday? So we were in 1 Corinthians 7 uh, verses 25 to 40. So the back half of 1 Corinthians 7, finishing off uh, this portion of our series in 1 Corinthians and uh, I hope people have really enjoyed 1 Corinthians. Uh, I know for many people, it's, 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 uh, we've covered a lot of ground and a lot of tough stuff as well. Um, but 1 Corinthians is a great book. It really is. And it's good for us as a church to be stretched and, uh, and keep thinking through. But I, that's not what I spoke about on Sunday. Um, answer the question. Um, uh, on Sunday, we, uh, we spoke about what it looks like to navigate relationships uh, from a Christian point of view in a world that is very much not Christian. Uh, And so I had four principles uh, for us to sort of work through. Uh, Live by your Christ-like convictions, uh, not the crew you hang with. Use serving God as the criteria to determining our future relationships. There's more than one way to please God. I was waiting for the heretic question to come on that one, but uh, it never came. Uh, Earthly relationships and things are not the highest good. So those are the four points, and we sort of unpack those through 1 Corinthians 7. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right, so the first batch of questions we've got are about singleness and children. Um, So the first question is, um, so if every single person was to remain single, how would the church grow if children were never conceived anymore? And if so, is God counting on people to not control themselves and not remain single? Uh, the church grows as God enables it to grow, uh, so he's He's sovereign over it, uh, and uh, I think what uh, God wants to see is uh, is Matthew 28, and you know, we spoke uh, a bit about this last week as well, mm-hmm. uh, in that, uh, that the biblical mandate we live by now is Matthew 28, to go and make disciples, uh, and so he, he, God wants the church to grow by people being converted. So, you know, there's that old saying, God has no grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's there's truth in that in terms of how we think about our own kids, um, you know, and how we raise them. And there's probably another question to sort of throw in there in terms of do you raise your kids as Christian, um, you know, or do you raise your kids knowing they need to make a decision for the Lord, uh, or is it somewhere sitting in the middle for both um, uh, in terms of what that looks like? So... Uh, and I also think um, it's—I can't remember if it's this question or another one—but this is quite the hypothetical. Um, mm. I don't think every single person is going to remain single. Um, and I, what we're really trying to do on Sunday is help people see that there is goodness in singleness, mm. uh, and that's—it is a viable and appropriate and a very godly uh, response uh, to what's happening to the world around us that does push us naturally towards marriage. Uh, so. Um, yeah, I think that's... Yeah, well, I think and it is worth... Like, he does pitch singleness really hard in his chapter, uh, Paul, but he also... Mm. Like, this is chapter is still positive about marriage. So I, I don't think... I think... And we... And I think Dave deliberately chose to sell singleness really hard because in our culture, you don't need to push people towards relationships. Like, they will naturally pursue that, whereas there is a hesitancy and an insecurity about singleness that doesn't need to be there. And so I think... Uh, Dave sort of helpfully sort of pushed hard in that direction, but certainly 
don't want to go too far the opposite way where we stop conceiving kids and, and getting married, which I, I think, again, it is a hypothetical question. People are going to – it's good for people to know the value of singleness, but I don't think that's going to slow the rate of people getting married and, and having kids much. So I think, yeah, it is a hypothetical. But no, I think 1 Corinthians 7 still really positive about marriage. You know, he who marries the virgin does right. Mm. Um, and even though he says that the single person does what is better, he's very clear the whole chapter. It's a good thing. It's not sin. Don't feel any guilt. Marriage is great. So, yeah, so we still need to, even though he is plugging singleness a little bit harder than marriage in this chapter, we, we know from the rest of Scripture and even from this chapter that marriage is really good as well. Mm, mm. Um, I wouldn't mind just giving a little bit of friendly pushback to the second half of this question. Um, is God counting on people to not control themselves and not remain single? Um, I just want to reiterate what we what we have talked about in the podcast as well. I don't think that Paul is just presenting marriage as a solution to the problem of sexual immorality. Um, when Paul himself talks about marriage, not only in 1 Corinthians but elsewhere, he provides a picture of marriage that is not just that. Um, and I think that when we – when I can understand why you would say that because a, a very brief and um, – like at first blush, it might seem like that's what Paul is saying about marriage. If you can't control yourself, then get married. But marriage is definitely about more than that. Um, and it kind of, when we, we think about marriage as a solution to sexual immorality, I worry that we're diminishing the role of the Holy Spirit in helping us to have self-control. That's one of the, that's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Like is self-control and that um, is certainly um, relevant when it comes to sexual temptation. Um, and Paul also talks about in 1 Corinthians about being um, given away out of tem- out of temptation um, by God. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. So he's not just saying marriage is the solution to sexual immorality. The spirit, the indwelling spirit um, empowers us to overcome that. So I think that's really important to say. And and there's uh, there's something to be said about how we read the Bible uh, in answering questions like this because if you were just to answer the question, what's marriage from 1 Corinthians 7 mm. uh, and what's the driver for it, you've probably got a slightly, you know, it, it highlights one area of marriage and why you'd sort of head in that direction. But if we want to put together a theology of marriage, uh, you'd go to Genesis 1 and 2, uh, you'd go to Ephesians 5, you'd go to Colossians uh, you'd go to the book of Revelation, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, the bride uh, mm. being prepared and all those sorts of things would come into play. So I think it's really important as we read the scriptures and what we want our preachers to do on a Sunday is preach the passages in front of you and preach it strongly and say, here's what God's word is saying. Um, and that's not always necessarily going to mean we have a full and broad to say, here's what it says on, on everything. Otherwise, you know, we'd, we'd be there for 45, 50 minutes every week. Yeah. Um, I'm okay with that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think what Beck raised is just briefly touched on like marriage won't, if you're struggling with sexual sin, like you'll still continue to struggle with sexual sin even after you get married. And so it will help because you do have a, a really good and healthy and amazing outlet, but the sin will still persist. And so um, marriage as lust and sexual sin fixer is also going to fall short. It can help a little bit, but yeah, unless, you endure, unless the Holy Spirit addresses the underlying sin, uh, the heart, then you will persist in it. You may also have sex as well, but you will still persist in your sexual sin as well. Mm -hmm. Mm. All right, next question. Um, It seems God's preference is for man and woman not to marry, but then God also loves children. In the Old Testament, his promises are around prospering and family growth. How does that fit in with this preference? Yeah, uh, it's pretty similar question to to the one just before. Um, uh, You know, Family's a good thing. Um, having kids is great. Um, and, uh, yeah, God loves children. Uh, and, um, yes, I think they're right. The Old Testament is very much around uh, growing uh, the family, um, making sure, you know, you're producing children. Uh, that was important. Uh, and the sort of, you know, the inheritance line is also very important uh, in terms of the promises, uh, you know, of God and, and, and all those things. But again, uh, the New Testament changes the dynamic of that when Jesus comes in. Mm. Uh, and so uh, I don't think the first part is right. God's preference uh, God values both singleness and marriage is what 1 Corinthians 7 and what Paul is really trying to highlight for the Corinthians and, you know, 
culture-wise for us, I think it's it's just as important um, that we say it's not preference. We want to highlight the value of both of them. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Jesus, he said, let the children come to me. And I think it's Psalm 8, you know, from the lips of children and infants, he has ordained praise. So, yeah, God loves loves kids and, and wants them trained and to walk in the ways of the Lord and, and wants to know them and has plans for them since they're in the womb, uh, even before that. So, yeah, God loves kids. And again, yeah, I think... Yeah, the challenge with this text is, yeah, you've got to factor in all the other texts as well. Like the Bible is very positive about marriage mm. and it's also very positive about singleness. The right outcome is sort of to walk away feeling really positive about both <laughs> those yeah. ways of life in Christianity. It's just, just our culture uh, is so pro-marriage and so insecure about singleness. that So we push singleness extra hard these last two weeks. And so it's good that that message has gotten across, but it might have gotten across too well. And people mm, are sort of mm. seeing marriage as a, as a bad thing now. It's really good. But singleness is also really, really good. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, this might throw a spanner in the works, I don't know, but there is a situation where Paul encourages people to get married in to Timothy, like the young widow should get married. So maybe it's not it's not that God has a preference for marriage or singleness, but God wants us to be wise in the way we decide what we're going to do with our lives. Yeah. And, and that's the principle out of 1 Corinthians 7, you know, mm-hmm. like w- where you find yourself situationally, circumstantially in life, what, figure out what it looks like to serve God in that. Mm. Uh, that's, you know, uh, that's the sort of principle that underlines where we were last week. Mm, 100%. Okay. Um, here's a interesting question. What should I do if I want to have kids but want to be single. What do you reckon, Beck? Boom. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> That's okay. I'm happy to answer. Um, this is a tricky question to answer from the passage. Um, I'll say that up front. Um, and even maybe to, um, there's not going to be any proof texts that we can go to. Um, but I think that um, we can apply ethical principles to every situation from scripture. Um, and but the trouble with that is I don't know anything specific about the ins and outs of your situation and why it might be that you want to have kids but you want to remain single and that would be um, something I'd love to explore with somebody and and figure out what the reasons are behind all of that. Um, but let me speak in general terms. I do know um, more than one woman who as a single woman has fostered children and that has been a tremendous blessing to the children and to the church and to, to her. Um, but I'm also sure it's not always been easy. I am not single but I am a parent and raising children even with uh, a very engaged dad um, is challenging. So I wouldn't say no, never but I don't know your situation. I don't know what's going on behind that. Um, but proceed with caution and don't make any decisions without um, talking to people and 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 getting the wisdom of God's church and all of those all of those things and obviously praying. Because if you're thinking about having children and it's not in the fostering or adopt adoption context, then that raises a whole bunch of other questions around reproductive technologies and the ethics of that, um, which we won't go into now. That I have actually started a list of podcast topics that we keep fobbing off to the elusive podcast we might have one day. Um, and that put, I have put that on the list. Um, but yeah, because that, because that raises a lot of really deep ethical questions that um, are really serious and we need to think through. Yeah, I mean, and like uh, I think it was this night church, this question yes. came in. Uh, and so... Um, I think um, w- when it comes to, uh, and this sort of comes into the next question that that's, uh, we're, we're going to come to, the, the right and um, proper place for kids is in the context of marriage. Uh, the, 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 the scriptures, you know, and we talk about it in the prayer book, you know, that that's one of the great things about marriage is the right place for you to have kids. Uh, and so on Sunday when I answered, I, I sort of went to, you know, uh, these are two good godly desires. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's good to want to have kids. You know, yeah, in the context of marriage, and you know, I didn't, didn't think about your situation you raised there in terms of single people and fostering. Um, and uh, but uh, there are two between two godly desires. But if you want to follow, you know, sort of God's principles of it, there's probably a sacrifice to be made in one way. And so, you know, to Jesus' words, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross and, and follow me. Uh, this could be an example of a sacrifice in one way or the other. Yeah, I'd really want to have kids, but 
you know, I think singleness is the path for me at the moment. Mm. Uh, or I really want kids, but I really want to stay single. But, you know, uh, and if the option is there for marriage, then, you know, that's, that's again, a good thing to do to pursue, you know, uh, those good, both good and godly ends. Um, but, yeah, there's always a circumstance that you come across where you go, didn't think about that. Mm. Didn't think about that, you know. Um, and I can think of one in my head in terms of, you know, um, you know, someone who's recently, you know, joined and been part of our church and, you know, it's a complication of how you'd sort of think about that question in terms of, you know, um, you know their relationship with a nephew. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, it's tricky. I think, you know, if you're going to take the principle from 1 Corinthians 7, they have sparing you trouble. I mean, single parenting is going to cause you so much trouble. Like, it is so, so hard. Like, I, I would chat to a few single parents before you you did it because a lot of them who do it and pull it off, like, they have to be so amazing just to get things functioning. Like, they have to, you have to be everywhere at once, working and child caring and, like, it's just an insanely difficult task. So in terms of that principle for 1 Corinthians 7, you will have a lot of troubles um, doing single parenting. It's just a really big challenge. And I think, yeah, this is a really unique question to our culture because 50 years ago you couldn't even ask that question. But mm. now we, you can hypothetically be single and have kids. And, mm. um, yeah, in terms of just technology with that we've got now. Yeah, but uh, I think, yeah, in terms of oh, I want to apply that 1 Corinthians 7 principle, you'll have a lot of troubles in this life mm. if you go the single parenting route and um yeah chat to the ones even the ones who are pulling it off really really well they'll tell you it's brutal yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. so i guess if this is your question let's talk about it <laughs> yeah. mm. all right next question is kind of the corollary i don't know how yes. to say that word. yes no i think you got it right <laughs> of the previous question um what about people who do want to marry but don't want kids is it better for them to stay single yeah, I, I think um, uh, I remember going through more college and uh, uh, we, we sort of spoke about this and, you know, there's there's um, communities that you can join um, and, you know, like the sort of gated community you can join where uh, you, um, uh, the prerequisite is that, you know, basically you're a couple but you don't want kids um, and, you know, because they, they, they're hard work and they, they cause you anxiety and, and, and all the rest. Um, and so I think uh, there's sort of two things to say from, from my perspective is uh, I think part of being married, part of having sex is you could possibly have children. And so I think you want to expect that. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I mean, when you're doing pre-marriage stuff and you say, hey, when you start having sex, you need to be prepared for kids because foolproof, it's maybe you're probably not going to be. So mm. be prepared. Like you could have the honeymoon baby. Mm -hmm. uh, it's possible. Uh, and you need to, that's part of going into marriage uh, of, of what that sort of looks like. So uh, if you go into marriage and you don't want kids, uh, I, there's a part of me that I find that problematic because uh, I think that's a natural part of it. But then there's a flip side of, I think, that you'd want to raise at this point of the questions around infertility mm. uh, and the, the deep silent pain that often many, many go through uh, who actually are married and do want kids but mm. can't have kids. Mm. And there's a whole other level of pain, I think, that comes with that and, and, and deep grief uh, in terms of what that looks like. Uh, and again, there'd be options open and conversations for us to have. So... Um, but yeah, like I think if you want to marry, but you don't want kids, I think that's sort of part of what comes with marriage potentially. Um, and I don't know, you guys probably got better things to say. Yeah. Let me refer you to a not quite as good podcast. Let me make that very clear. <laughs> good podcast, but not as good as said on Sunday, which is asked Pastor John. So I think he had a question on this and pretty much his answer was all married couples need to be open to it. Cause like you said, like, even if you don't want kids, you know. It's not always your choice. <laughs> you can mm. do all the right contraception and still get pregnant. Um, but he did say pretty much it's, it's check your heart. So why don't I want kids? And so he knows people they go into super dangerous areas in Africa and so they need to be mobile and so it needs to just be the two of them so they can do their, their missionary work and it would just be brutal to bring their kids up and almost cruel to bring their kids mm -hmm. kids up there so they chose to have kids. Like, that's great. That's a very godly reason to not have kids. But then there's others who they just want to be multimillionaires and you know, 
So if they just don't have kids or they want to travel the world all the time. And so he goes, there's consumeristic reasons and then there's missionary reasons. And But he said, I can't give you a hard and fast rule, but you need to check your own heart. Mm. And I thought that was quite helpful. So, yeah, what's what's the motivation behind it is sort of the bigger question. But in saying that, you have to be open to it because once you start having sex, that that's a real option. And, um, yeah, so you're, you're, you're potentially in the game the moment you get married and, and start having sex. Mm. Okay. So let's move on to singleness at church. Um, and our next questions. How can we celebrate singleness in the church context and not put pressure on people to get married? And I'll ask the next question along with it. Many ministries are family-oriented. As a result, single people become increasingly invisible in churches as they age. What are some ways that the church seeks to support and celebrate single people? Yeah, Nathan's got a good answer. <laughs> Let's go, Nathan. Uh, I think I can give you more pitfalls and, and things what not to say. Uh, so I remember having single mates, uh, I'd go to parties and uh, to the blokes, you know, they'd be, often be a, an older woman often would do it, but they'd go, when are you going to bring a girlfriend to these Christmas events and these Easter events? And he's sort of going, okay, the implication is something's wrong. Uh, to younger females, the one I've seen is sort of someone puts their arm around and goes, how's a pretty thing like you still single? Again, what's gone wrong? You're so pretty. <laughs> just makes everyone uncomfortable in that entire conversation, but lots of people mm. do it. Uh, and so, yeah, but the implication of all those comments is something's gone wrong because you're not with a partner. Um, and so it, that, that kind of, like, we need to sort of commit to celebrating singleness and eliminating those kind of negative comments uh, is a really good way. I think the other thing I found really helpful is having couples and families welcome you into their home because you get a you get a realistic picture. I think you often we are prone to rose-coloured pictures of what a relationship and a family is like if we're single. Mm. So I have my sister's five years older than me. I have friends who are five, six years older than me, so they've always been in that life stage ahead. And so seeing them, yeah, walking, I remember going to my sister's house and my nephew just cried for three hours. And actually I got to the door and he was banging on the door saying, no, nay, no, because I'm Uncle Nay, no, <laughs> nay. And I was like, come on, man. Anyway, um, <laughs> but three-hour tension, I thought, oh, gee, I don't. I don't have that problem. Like that's, that's, that's fine. Um, and yeah, like going in and toilet paper all over the floor, poo on the walls, all sorts of stuff. And you go, you know, there are some things I like about the look of that life stage, but there are some things that I'm certainly <laughs> not sad that I don't have in my life. And it just gives you that realistic picture. So, um, and I also remember with church, just Kirsten and I sort of getting more invites to things when we were engaged and married. So we accidentally so that culture was actually accidentally fostered of like, mm. oh, you're engaged now, we'll, we'll have you over to our house. You sort of made the, the couple crew. Um, so, yeah, having having singles over uh, and caring for them uh, and it gives them a real they, – they one, they get their sort of family need met and also they get a realistic picture and go, you know what, there are some perks to being single and there are some things that I'm missing out on that aren't that fun. Um, mm. And so I think that's two ways that church can, can really get behind and that will help – uh, it's hard for churches answering about the ministry question. It's hard for churches to put on, like it can be really awkward if you run a singles ministry. And I think I've read books from single people saying that's that's cringe. Please don't do that. <laughs> and so I think it's on it's on individual members to to really care uh, and families to to welcome people into their home of of all of all life stages. That's a really helpful thing to do. Mm. Yeah, I think um, as well. It's kind of cool at church when we're in mixed. Um, small groups. When I say mixed, I don't necessarily mean genders. I just mean mixed in terms of life stages and and also singles and marrieds. And um, because then I think sometimes in a big church, as as we get bigger, sometimes we can start to homogenise um, the people that we hang out with. Um, I know when I've been at big churches, I would tend just to talk to other people at my in my situation. Where when I, whereas I've, when I've been at smaller churches, I will have a much wider um, demographic of different people that I would talk to after church and have community with. So I think we need to be careful not to just surround ourselves with people who are the same as us, but to open our eyes to the wider body of Christ mm. in the way that we do small groups, in the way that we do ministry um, as a church. Yeah, they're, they're really, really good responses. Um, the only thing I'd sort of add in there is in that sort of second question, specifically as they age, mm. um, because I think uh, if you're, uh, and I, I sort of spoke a little bit about this last week in terms of if you're long-term single, especially over the age of 35, uh, it, it comes really hard, um, you know, when everyone else at your age and stage uh, is married, uh, they've got kids, and so... 
it, they can feel excluded. You know, I didn't get invited to the couple's party. Um, or that person always talks to the person who's just has that similar affinity with them. Uh, and I think if we want to be a genuine family of God filled with brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, then their circumstances, uh, we need to sort of move past them in order that we can be as inclusive. Uh, in, and that will look different for different people. Uh, and so if you're in the classic married family, uh, you know, having some intentionality towards on being on the lookout for who can you include, what conversations can you have. And then especially on the sort of older end of the scale when it comes to widows um, uh, or people uh, whose marriages have ended, uh, like there's a difficulty in both those circumstances of someone who's gone through the either the pain of losing a partner suddenly or the pain of their marriage ending in some way. Uh, and so... Uh, we have a really, it's just gospel opportunities on both sides of the fence uh, for families and for single people, um, perhaps, you know, to, to um, be included in and for us to sort of open the doors, I guess, a little bit wider. But um, one of the things that I love about these questions is um, they show, uh, I don't think we'd having these conversation and these questions without 1 Corinthians 7. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and so how do we celebrate singleness? We open the scriptures and we see and be challenged by them as to sort of what do we actually want to be as a church family? Because uh, mm. without 1 Corinthians 7, we, we don't have this conversation. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and if you are single and you do have some ideas, please bring them forward to the staff team because I think if you've got that life experience, you might have insights that we won't otherwise have access to. So, yeah, get involved in that too. All right, let's talk about singleness and ministry. Um, the question is, my understanding is that as a single person, my focus should be on how I can proclaim the gospel and be a better Christian. But how can I have an impact when people find out I'm in my 40s and never been married? I don't see how I can have an impact when I'm viewed as being abnormal. Yeah, look, this is a uh, good question. And um, yeah, like it's, it's a shame, I think, that, uh, you know, People f like this person feels as though they're viewed mm. abnormally uh, of, of being uh, single and, or never married uh, into their 40s. Um, but the, the question around impact uh, is, I think, where Paul goes here in 1 Corinthians 7 uh, in terms of the, the actual impact that person you know, can have from a gospel point of view uh, can be quite large and, and really quite significant. Um, and uh, there's, there's multiple opportunities that they potentially have uh, that um, they, they can do from a ministry point of view that uh, uh, those who married can't. Uh, and so, but again, when it comes to impact, uh, you know, depending on what they mean, um, you know, we believe in a God who's sovereign, who makes things grow and sees people converted like that's his realm. Uh, we want to bring some intentionality as a church around those things. Um, and uh, so yeah, I would hope there'd be numerous opportunities for them to get involved in various ministry teams uh, where they can, you know, uh, have that sense of discipleship and partnership in the gospel uh, and the things that they're doing. Uh, and again, back to the previous question of, um, you know, and having that opportunity to be involved in, uh, in family life in some way. Mm. Yeah, I think. You're, you've almost got a gospel in. If someone goes, oh, you're unmarried, you go, oh, yeah, I'm single. I think it gives me an opportunity to serve Jesus more diligently. Off you go. Someone, yeah, I'd love to see where that conversation goes. Um, so you sort of do have a gospel in, but it is it is a shame. I do I do agree that both church culture and outside culture does make you feel abnormal if that's you. So I am really sorry, and I'm and I'm sorry if the church has done that to you because, I mean, you can't control the outside culture, but <clears throat> the church should be a place where, yeah, you feel you know, celebrated and loved and they've in a great life stage. Um, and, but yeah, let me impact. I mean, if you think about impact people, particularly in the new Testament, you know, your big players, you know, Jesus, obviously Paul, John the Baptist, they're all single blokes. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's a freedom and a, and a capacity that gets limited once you, uh, decide to get married. And so there is, there is something about singleness that, you know, there are challenges with singleness. You don't want to, don't want to sort of callously say, oh, your life's easier. You can do all the ministry. Um, but there is a, you know, once you do sign up for marriage, you have intentionally 
uh, and for a good reason, reduced your capacity and your, your mission and, and ministry limits. So, um, no, don't, don't you should feel like you can have a, a big time impact as a as a single person. It's um, yeah, and and the Bible is full of examples of men and, and women who go a long way as a single single people. And sorry, just to jump in, like there is also uh, ages and stages, even within marriage, of what you can and how much you can throw yourself into various things. Like the stage of life where Nathan and James are with, you know, young kids sort of under the age of five that require a lot of, you know, physicality and parenting to mm. ped, you know, compared to where you and I are back in mm. terms of our kids are a bit older. Uh, they don't necessarily need that sort of, you know, um, I, I uh, in terms of just reflecting for me, uh, I feel like capacity-wise, I've got a little bit more freedom than I did when I was at this mm. you know, age and stage, and the kids were really little mm. uh, in terms of what I can do. And but then, as you get older, your kids get older. But then your parents start getting older, mm. uh, and in terms of their needs and what that starts to look like. So it, it just sort of there's there's times I think where it's okay to sort of dive in a little deeper here and there might be other times depending on what's going on with your kids where you need to pull back and say actually I actually can't just keep going on that particular pace because I need to look after my family and so I just there are sort of age like um seasons in life that you sort of go through I don't know whether you resonate with that mm. at all Beck. I think that might be true for the single life as well there'll be mm. seasons where you do have a big capacity in seasons where you don't. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's really true. I think something that a lot of these questions kind of raise is um, there's so many different factors that we need to factor in to be wise and discerning about how we serve God. Um, it's mm. not a well, one size fits all a lot of the time. Mm. Um, all right. Speaking of which, and this question kind of <laughs> reflects that. That as well, should we be slow? Should we be slow to marry if it will reduce our ministry or mission capacity? Yes, we should be slow to marry. Um, just to pick up on the first half of that question, <laughs> mm -hmm. we should be slow to marry. Um, uh, marriage is a big deal, uh, and we want to not take it lightly. Uh, Hebrews says marriage should be honoured by all. Uh, it's good for you know the created order and. Um, you know, it's a big commitment that you're making. You know, you, when marriage, you come before family and friends and before God and say, this is want to be a binding covenant between us that we want to be a lifelong thing. Uh, and one of the factors you might want to bring in in terms of being slow uh, to marry is what will that do for your capacity for ministry uh, and mission? And again, what a what a, what a wonderful sort of thing to sort of hear that people in our church are wrestling with, mm. um, that, you know, they want to go, how to, if, you know, want to take God's word seriously. Um, if I don't get married, maybe I could have this sort of, you know, greater capacity in there. I'm like, that's great. Mm. I'm just, I'm just super encouraged someone's sort of thinking along those lines, but you just be slow to marry full stop. Mm. Again, three years, three months, four days, <laughs> six-month engagement, you know, and that's, and that's, that's, that's what we're aiming for. Um, no, it's, um, it's a good question. I think Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 with his rights of an apostle sort of goes, well, I'm right, I have the right to marry as an apostle, like, and Peter did, and it's great, but I'm choosing to waive that right uh, so I can do, do, do ministry and serve God uh, more freely. Um, but, but again, both things were right. Cephas and uh, Peter, who's Peter, did the right thing by getting married and Paul's done a good thing by waiving that right uh, and, and working hard. Um, yeah, and so I, yeah, I think it's good advice to just take it slowly heading into marriage mm -hmm. anyway. But yeah, I do know uh, a mate of mine did. He had a girl that he was been dating for a year and um, the relationship was going great, but he, he remember he took a weekend away uh, and spent time in the Word and I think he had a Christian book and just wrestled going, okay, you know, I'm either going to go all in with this girl or I'm going to step out for, for ministry reasons. And then he came back and said, no, I'm going to go ahead and marry uh, marry this woman. And, and it was a great call. But, yeah, you know, I was encouraged by that. There was someone just very thoughtfully going, uh, marriage is really, really good, but there is a cost. There's a cost to my ministry capacity. Uh, and so I need to weigh that up. And it was very thoughtful and prayerful and, and very intentional. So I do mm -hmm. think there's, there is wisdom to be slow. Uh, but again, both options are good. Both options are taken by the apostles uh, and both were right choices. So it's good that Peter married. It's good that Paul stayed single. Um, but yeah, yeah, think about it. Be very thoughtful, very prayerful and very intentional. Mm. And I think when we uphold singleness as a really viable, beautiful option for the Christian person, 
um, it encourages us to slow down rather than to rush into marriage as well. Um, whereas if you think that marriage is the be all and end all, you might mm. just rush into it. Mm. So yeah, yeah, let's slow down. It's good advice. Okay, so let's say that you are having trouble accepting your singleness. Let's put a question about that. So how do you get yourself from, quote, longing so badly for a relationship to accepting that that might not be God's plan for you right now, quote? What can you do to help yourself accept this? Uh, keep reading 1 Corinthians 7. Mm-hmm. Um, God's word is powerful. Uh, and there's a, a conviction piece, I think, uh, which, which is, you know, it was the first point in, in my talk on Sunday. Like, are we actually, do we live by our convictions on this? And what are our convictions? Are they similar to Paul's that actually being single is okay? Um, and uh, so, um, and the, the longing badly for a relationship, again, you're not longing for something that's wrong. Mm. Uh, it's a good and a godly desire uh, to want a partner. Um, But if that doesn't happen, again, do you just spend your life enduring your singleness and going, like, I just so desperately want to be with someone uh, that you lose some of what Paul says here in terms of, um, you know, the opportunity to be devoted uh, in body and spirit or, you know, and undistracted in in that way like is that a genuine conviction for you mm. uh in terms of how how would you move yourself to that well, i think you just got to keep getting into the word um surround yourself with people who are gonna be an encouragement to you uh around your convictions to help you see uh what uh what could and couldn't can can't what could and would not be done. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think that's, there's probably a couple of things in there that I hope hopefully are helpful. Mm. Yeah, I think humans, probably a sinful thing, but we the grass is always greener on the other side. So, you know, when you get married, you sort of go, you look back and go, man, that single person can do whatever they want, whenever they want, and they don't have to factor in anyone else and they can just... They can just do their hobbies and work hard and do everything well. That's lucky. And then uh, single people sort of look at married people and go, oh, I'm lonely and they have they have the answer and, and I'm so uh, – and it's not fair kind of thing. And so the grass is always greener on the other side, but I think it's – as one Corinthians says, like there's unique challenges to, to both. So singleness, there is that loneliness factor. There is that insecurity of why, isn't, why haven't I found the person? But then marriage introduces a whole set of problems as well. And so, uh, yeah, as a single person, you're not the only one that has troubles. Uh, married people have a unique set of troubles. And so actually you probably have the same amount of troubles as each other because both options are just as good mm. um, as each other. So just, just remembering that uh, marriage is not a um, solution to all problems. I remember a minister telling me that um, marriage is like a, it's not a problem fixer. It's like a magnifying glass. Uh, so, so all the strengths that you have in your life and will be intensified by marriage and all mm-hmm. your weaknesses will also be intensified. And so and I found that really helpful. So it's not a uh, marriage is not a problem fixer. It's actually a problem sort of magnifier. Right. Uh, your strengths get magnified, which is great, but your weaknesses also get get magnified and can really blow up. And so, um, yeah, ma- it's just marriage isn't some magical solution. Like, and mm. um, even even the healthiest and the best, like it creates issues and, and doesn't solve all of them. So, um, yeah, try not to have the grass is greener on the other side uh, view of life, which we're all prone to. Mm. And maybe lean into um, the beauty of singleness, like what Dave was saying, is keep reading 1 Corinthians 7. But you might also want to, if this is your question, do a bit of a deep dive into the theology of singleness to see what the meaning of singleness is um, as well theologically. Um, And to which end I'll recommend a resource um, that we'll link to in the show notes. I came across a scholar um, who's an Australian um, woman in her 40s who's never been married. Her name is... um, uh, Danielle Trawick. 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 She's great. I just discovered her oh, yesterday. Yeah, Danny's fantastic. Yeah, and oh. so valuable. Her life experience as well as the deep research that she's done in the scriptures and in church history looking at this question of singleness and our attitude to water and what it can be. So cards on the table, um, you know, uh, in terms of 1 Corinthians 7 and um, you know, the gift of singleness. She was very influential yeah. in terms of, you know, what my back end research was. Mm. Uh, and so she's got a series of four blog posts on the myths of singleness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, this was really sort of her sort of understanding. And that the book she quotes in there, um, Al H.S.U. Hughes, um, called The Single Singleness or The Single Issue. 
uh, that but he has a book on that. But again, um, she quite, she leans quite heavily on that book in terms of some of her thinking as well. But yeah, Danny's fantastic. She's done a mm. lot of really good thinking. Yeah, yeah. So um, maybe we'll link to her blog as well as her her ministry that uh, parachurch ministry she heads up called Single Minded that has a huge number of resources like talks and things. So there is a conference that goes with it too. Yeah, yeah the Single Minded Conference is what it's called. Uh, and again, it's trying to do what 1 Corinthians 7 and what we did in a microcosm yesterday uh, from a more, you know, from a bigger scale for Christians, you know, across the sort of Sydney base and, and broader to say, singleness is good. Uh, and there's lots of opportunities and there's ways to celebrate it. So uh, if you just type into Google single-minded conference, uh, you'll see that there's good opportunities there. But it's not just speaking to single people. Mm, the single-minded no. conference, it's very much, uh, it wants to get to pastors and say, guys, you know, figure out what's going on in church on these things, families, figure out how you can sort of, you know, embrace single people uh, in your church family. So there's there's lots of good things that come out of it. Mm, yeah, it's a resource for the whole church, not just for single people. Um, yeah. Okay. Question 10. Should there be a time in your single life when you should stop looking for a partner? I think No. Do you want to back that up with some <laughs> further comment? I was thinking there was an article that uh, Sydney Anglicans put out uh, a little while ago of, uh, of a guy who got married in his 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, that's what I was, that's the article I was thinking. I was thinking, well, no, like if he can get married in his 90s, um, then I don't know why you'd stop. And, and again, like, uh, um, it's, it's not a question to put a line in the sand over and say, look, yeah, you know, when, when you hit this age, you pr- it pro- probably the answer is no. Like um, uh, for, for many people I know who are single and long term, I don't think – I only know some who have fully shut the door and said never want a partner. Um, you know, and there's different men and women I know who are in ministry and they've gone, I've shut the door. I don't want that to happen. Uh, and, but there's also many who were like, um, uh, I'm, I'm single and content, but if a partner comes along, you know, I'll, I'll definitely give it the right consideration uh, and sort of figure out if that's, you know, uh, a, a good thing for us to do. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it might be your own, more your own personal conviction than it is for us to say, uh, yes, here, here's, here it is, here's the, the date um, that you need to stop. Mm. Yeah, I think again, sort of, sort of like some of the questions before. It's check your heart motive before we make a decision. So if you're in that mentality of marriage will save everything and will fix all my problems, marriage as saviour mentality, then actually it probably is good for you to stop and actually try and lean in and embrace singleness for a time and actually see uh, mm. some of the good things about it. Uh, whereas I think that balance of like you know what singleness is great, marriage is good. I'm open to open to both, but my number one responsibility. Uh, is to serve God really faithfully in the season I'm in. And I think that's the mentality we need to have rather than, oh, I'm sinning if I'm looking for a spouse. Um, yeah, you're not, it's not, again, marriage is really good. So I think it's, yeah, check your heart. What's your what's your motivation for looking? Is it just you're, you're really, you're content in singleness, but you also want to be open for marriage partner? Great. But if it's, I'm, I'm ruined unless I get a spouse, then I think actually it might be a time for you to stop and actually... Uh, think and, and pray and actually maybe even lean into it a little bit more. But again, it's I can't check your heart for you. You can have mm. time uh, with the Lord by yourself, with accountability partners, with friends and family, and, and you can work that through together. Mm. So there may be seasons in life where you mm. stop looking for a partner, but then you open to it again later. Mm. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a bit about marriage. Um, romance and marriage. Do you think these verses are too difficult for most people to swallow because we put too much emphasis on or take for granted um, romance? Verse 36 isn't exactly the reason why Christians get married in most instances. Uh, I think you were talking about this last week, weren't you, Beck? In terms of placing, uh, culture-wise, we place a lot of emphasis on romance. Yeah, I think we see love and marriage and sex as some kind of pinnacle of the human experience. And when we do that, we really downgrade um, friendship. Um, I think that was my point from last week. And I've been reflecting on that a little bit more. And I don't want to go into huge amounts of detail, but I think over the years of church history, um, 
And in the ancient world, friendship was a really important relationship and was really, really elevated. Um, I did an assignment on Augustine and his theology of friendship for Bible college last year, which I, I won't tell you all about. Um, but the, the only to say that what he saw friendship was, was an avenue toward sanct- sanctification, like a, a um, a relationship in which you could become more like Jesus. Um, and I think we've lost a little bit, a little bit of that. And cause we focus on romance, romantic comedies are like such a, um, a fun genre of movie, but I think we're so drawn to it because we, we like that novelty around romance and we kind of then lose the, um, the, what, what friendship, um, provides us with, which is this endurance rather than novelty, um, yeah, so I do think I do think we focus a lot on romance, and I think that um, I think sometimes we see it in in teenagers struggling with their sexuality as well. That they have this close friend who they just love, and they start thinking, "Oh, maybe I'm same sex attracted." I've seen that throughout youth ministry as well, and some of those kids will be genuinely same sex attracted. I don't want to diminish their experience, but I think there's a huge confusion around how intimate friendships can be, and as a really good thing. Yeah. There's a fascinating exchange, I think, in, in 1 Samuel 20 between David and Jonathan. And I think I think it's David that says to Jonathan, like, your love for me is better than that of seven women. Now, why yeah. he has seven women in his life is a separate discussion. But and he, and the problem is yeah. that there was a deep, deep connection and intimacy between two mates that, you know, that he found more valuable and more helpful than uh, his marriages, which is... Um, yeah, that's profound. Like there, there is, you know, friendships can meet so many relational needs. And I, I do think there is that myth that our rom- you, you ha- it's a need. Romance is a need for survival and, and we have to have that met. Whereas uh, the Bible um, tells us that, you know, there are many relations, you need many ways to get your relational needs met and marriage is a really nice one, but it's certainly not essential. Um, and so, yeah, that, that one Samuel 20 interaction between David and Jonathan is is really interesting, the value of friendship and the way that he elevated it above uh, romantic relationships, which was which was fascinating. Mm, it is, yeah. All right, next question is related directly to the, the passage in verse 29. Um, the point, sorry, how do we live as though we don't have a spouse if you are married? Yeah, so verse 29 to 31 has five mm. as if not statements. Uh, that sort of jump right in the middle of Paul's argument uh, as he's working his way through. Uh, and they stand out like a bit of a sore thumb because you're like, well, hang on. You know, you've just been talking about, you know, better to marry and, you know, like, you know, what's it doing right here sort of in uh, in the middle uh, of 1 Corinthians 7? Uh, and so I think the point that Paul is making is not – you know, like, hey, if you're married now, um, just ignore your partner uh, and just get on with your life. Um, but there are a couple of markers in there which we went through on Sunday. You know, the time is short, the world is passing away. Uh, and the, the, talk about the paradigm change of when Jesus comes. And the paradigm is that he's now going to return at some point. The time is short. Um, and, uh, you know, this, if you invest into this world that is passing away, there's, there's a foolishness to that. Uh, and so what well, marriage is a good thing. He's for marriage. He's for singleness. Uh, what he's saying is that that's not the highest good in life. You know, not, you know, we get married. It's not the be all and end all. And you go, but you got to remember there's five of them in there. He doesn't just do it with marriage. He does it with mourning. He does it with happiness. He does it with material things. He does it with being engrossed in this world because this world is passing away. And so I think he's just trying to make the point of even as we speak on relationships and what's happening in this world, do it in the context of, well, Jesus is going to return and this world is, as it stands, isn't going to be there forever. So invest into the heavenly realm that's going to be there forever, Mm. uh, I think is really the point that he's making in there. Mm. I've had my phone on Do Not Disturb and been sleeping in my car the last couple of nights. Are you saying that's wrong? (laughs) (laughs) So I took away from your sermon. (laughs) Repent. (laughs) Repent. I'll call curses. (laughs) Dave confused me. No. Um, Paul confused you. I I had a brilliant explanation. It's just that you weren't weren't listening. listening. (laughs) Uh, No, I I find a helpful crossover text is when Jesus uh, says, you know, those who don't hate their father and mother and children uh, in 
and and choose me uh, are not worthy of me. And the point of that Jesus is not it's not that you should hate your family, but that your love for Jesus and your focus on Jesus should be so, so deep and so intense that out out love yeah that love is so much deeper for for God and for Jesus than it is for than for your family. And I think that can one Corinthians seven like you're so focused on the mission of Christ like it's so all consuming that. Uh, yeah, it's sort of that, that's your number one attention grabber and the thing that captivates you the most, even more than your spouse. And yet, and yeah, but both Paul and Jesus in other <laughs> in other books will say, love your spouse, yeah. love your kids, but your single, your single minded focus is God's kingdom and following Christ. And so, uh, yeah, you love Jesus so much that compared to that, your, your love for your family, it's almost like hate because you love Jesus that much. Um, yeah, so I think that's a helpful crossover text. It's not get rid of your family, but yeah, your, your number one love and attention and devotion goes to, to Jesus. Mm. And you want to see your marriage in the context of eternity mm. and its relative significance to that. Yeah. Mm. Okay, last, well, second last question. Why is it essential that a widow marries someone who belongs to the Lord? Yeah, so in... You know, verses 39 and 40, we're presented with the circumstance of uh, someone's husband who's passed away. And uh, Paul then gives, you know, the two options. You, you're free to remarry um, in that circumstance, um, but he says they must belong to the Lord. Uh, and so I think what Paul is doing is just emphasizing where he's just been in terms of um, uh, marriage and distraction. Uh, and I think if you marry someone who doesn't belong to the Lord, who's not a Christian, uh, that distraction thing just is amplified, like mm. turning it up to 10 uh, in terms of you're not necessarily sharing one of the key markers of identity and significance uh, for who you are with this person uh, you know, for the rest of your life. And that will bring complication uh, in terms of your ability to do ministry, supporting ministry, uh, what your house looks like, if you're going to have kids, how are you going to raise them, mm. what are you going to tell them, why doesn't mum or dad, whoever it is, uh, not come to church. Uh, you just, you know, if marriage has got enough troubles or already with two Christians, uh, you, you, and again, you just turn the dial up. And so I think what Paul is saying is marry someone who's a Christian, mm. uh, if, if you are too, and have that conviction uh, that uh, it's that's a really good thing to do. Yeah, I think. I think that's exactly right. And, I, and you see it play out that um, Christian marrying a non-Christian. So you see that beautiful 5% where the non-Christian becomes a Christian. It's amazing. Then you see 5% in the other of some of the opposite where the Christian remains really committed and the spouse remains really non-committed. But the 90% in the middle is just, this is just a massive compromise where the Christian is either they've given up the faith completely or they're around church circles, Christian circles, but they're just so distracted and compromised uh, yeah, so almost the, the 5% where the, the non-Christian becomes a Christian is beautiful in one way, but kind of a disaster in the other way because it encourages the other 95%, which end in disaster, that they're going to be like the other the five. And mm. so, um, yeah, I just it just when you, you see it, you know, you pretty much know the steps that's going to happen. The interest generally from the Christian will wane and wane and wane and wane and wane and generally post kids. It's too hard. The spouse doesn't want to go. The kid's sick. The kid's angry. The kid's throwing a tantrum. Um, we'll just was park the faith for at least for the time being and often for permanently, yeah. Mm. Okay, sounds like wise advice from Paul. Mm. Um, all right, then the last question we have is a bit of a departure from 1 Corinthians 7, um, but it is talking about homosexuality and what the Bible says about it, which has been relevant throughout um, our discussion in 1 Corinthians in general. Um, so the question is, what do I say to someone who believes, as Psalm 5.5 says, that God hates sinners and that Romans chapter 1 teaches homosexuality is the judgment of some people for turning their backs irreversibly on God. Uh, yeah, I think Psalm 5.5 5 does say that God hates the arrogant and all who do wrong. I think is that, that's the verse. Um, and that is one verse, and it is in, in essence that's because of God's holiness. He has to hate evil. Mm. Uh, and so when we become an embodiment of evil, there's going to be a channel of... Um, of hate there, but then we also know from many other texts of scripture that God, whilst He hates our sin and He hates the fact that we embody that, that He also loves us deeply and gives mm. us a solution to our sin, and so that He gave His only Son uh, to die for sin uh, and in our place. So there's, yes, there's that, that tension of He hates the area, He hates all who do wrong, but He also loves all who do wrong, and God sends His Son for His enemies. Um, so there, there's that tension of yes, God 
loves you deeply. And so whatever hate or anger there is towards your sin, there's an even, there's a even deeper love that he gave his son for you. And so you don't want to hold one. <laughs> it's a danger to go the other way where you only care about God's love and mm. you just dismiss any frustration or anger or hatred towards sin. Um, but that other, the opposite way we emphasize the hate uh, is also really scary and, and, and unhelpful uh, in terms of Sin, yeah, the, the final step of judgment in Romans 1. So these are really difficult texts. Um, uh, but the final step of judgment uh, for God is that uh, he hands you over to your sin. Um, I'm not sure. I think that's, I don't think having same-sex attraction means that you've been thrown over to that stage. I think for the, that situation is people who have lent into their sin and hated God for so long and God's finally said, fine, you're, you're palmed off. Whereas I think uh, just experiencing initial same-sex attraction, you haven't you haven't acted like that, and you're not up to that stage of, of judgment. Uh, and so I think it would be again. I think it's probably someone with a very tender conscience, and they're leaning into the really negative side uh, of those of both of those texts. Um, yeah, and, and I think we all have attractions and desires that are wrong, whether it be anger or lust and desire towards someone who's not our spouse. I'm like, we all have desires that are sinful. And so mm. we could write every single person off as Romans 1 happening to us because yeah. we desire wrong things. And so... Um, I think that's what Paul goes on to say, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm. So I don't think yeah. I don't think just having that initial same-sex attraction... Is, I think if you lean into the lifestyle for, for 20, 30 years completely unrepentantly and anti-God, then maybe the final step of judgment will go, you know what, I'm not even going to try and redeem you from it. I'm just going to let you lean into it. Um, but no, the initial same-sex attraction, that's that's not that stage. Mm. Yeah, It's worth reading just these, again, just step back slightly from the question in terms of understanding um, uh, what it means to read the Bible correctly. Mm. Um, you know, I was just reading Romans, uh, Romans uh, Psalm 5. Uh, then, you know, so if it starts verse, you know, just jump in at verse 4. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness, with you, evil people are not welcome. And then the verse five, you know, the arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Uh, the bloodthirsty and deceitful uh, you, Lord, detest. But then you've got a contrast verse seven. But I, you know, so this is a psalm of David. Uh, by your great love can come into your house. In reverence I bow down towards your holy temple. Um yeah, you, you've you've got as Nathan was saying the holiness of God on display. You know, He cannot have evil in His presence. You know, the arrogant cannot stand before Him, uh, and here you've got David. You know, <laughs> um, let's just say he had some issues. Mm. Um, you know, he says, "But I can come before your house." I mean, you know, and you've got to read Romans one with the rest of Romans as well. Yeah. Uh, in terms of yes, you know, God has handed these people over to their desires. Um, you know, and you get Romans two and Romans three, but no one is righteous, not even one. And then you get the great contrast of, you know, halfway through three, but, you know, apart from the law, you know, here's the righteousness that comes. Here's how salvation comes. Here's what faith looks like. Romans four. Um, you know, so, uh, I understand, you know, sort of looking at these verses and going, hey, what about, mm -hmm. this, what about this? But I think you're gonna, we've got to, in terms of when we come to read the scriptures, we need to keep reading a little bit around what's yeah. sort of going on so that we actually understand and don't make a, an inadvertent mistake when it comes to an application point. Yeah, definitely. You need to look at the verse in context, which I think we've said once or twice already <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. in this podcast. And if you just open Romans 1 and have a look, he's not specifically calling out um, homosexuality, it's sexual immorality and idolatry, um, mm. which are those kind of yeah. two broad categories of sin that a lot of sin falls under. So, yeah, um, gay people aren't being called out specifically yeah. in this verse. And I think that's mm. really clear once you open the passage. Mm. All right, that was our last question. Um, what are we doing on Sunday and what's happening with the podcast over the holidays, Dave? <laughs> okay. So uh, it's Easter. So if uh, if you're listening to this when it's just been released, then you know, that will be uh, Thursday and there'll be Good Friday the next day. So 8.30 and 10.30, we're here at Kellyville Anglican. Uh, Archbishop Kanishka Rafael is coming to open God's Word. And then Easter Sunday, uh, we'll be in John chapter 20. 
uh, looking at Thomas and uh, what it means for him to go from seeing the evidence, believing and having life. And that's what we want for your friends and family. See the evidence of the resurrection, believe in Jesus and get the life that comes from it. Uh, mm. So that's where we're heading over the, you know, the next sort of this, this week. It's a, it's super exciting. I'm always, I'm always, I always love Easter. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really good time. Uh, and so, but then the podcast, uh, we're going to have a bit of a break uh, for the next couple of weeks. Uh, and then on the first week of next term, uh, which is the last week of April, we have a very special podcast being released that day. Uh, and uh, we've sort of turned the tables a little bit. Um, and Beck, you're going to be the one answering all the questions and we dive a little bit into your journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're really excited to, to release that. And then we'll dive back into Set on Sunday in our new sermon series in 1 Samuel. And uh, I think Nathan's uh, leading us out of the gate for the first few in 1 Samuel. Start with a bang. Sounds it's good. All, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> I think I've finished the series, mate. It's all downhill from there. <laughs> I'm sure it's not. I look forward to it. Thank you for joining us, everyone, and we hope to see you at Easter time. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love you to join us at Kelly Delanglican any Sunday at 8.30, 10.30 or 6.15pm. If you can't visit us in person, you can also join us online. You can find out more information at www.ka.church. So come join us and see for yourself what is said on Sunday.